preparedness of the province was wherever the outbreak happens, they would trigger their help. So it didn't, they didn't help us for the first month. When the outbreak happened in Lalash, then we started seeing their presence. But for one month, we were just getting frustrated. That's Rick LaLiberty. He's head of the local emergency response team working to control the COVID-19 outbreak in northern Saskatchewan. He's our guest on this episode of the Akameimuk podcast. I'm your host, Terry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Welcome to WOW to the Akameimuk podcast. Akameimuk is Cree for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we'll discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, elders, and community leaders. And right now, the issue where we all need to persevere is COVID-19. One of the worst COVID hotspots in Canada right now is in and around the village of Laloche in northern Saskatchewan, close to the Alberta border. Our guest today is Rick Liberty. He heads the Incident Command Centre for the 24 First Nations, Métis and Municipal Communities in northwest Saskatchewan. He is leading the local fight against COVID-19. We reached him in the Métis community of Beauval, so I want to give a big welcome to, to Rick Liberty. So welcome to our podcast, Rick. And can you tell us about the situation up there right now? What's going on? Yeah, we uh Perry, and uh, we're experiencing a, a hot spot in, in our region here. And, and it's uh, originating from the Curl Lake oil sands operations in northern Alberta. Uh, the containment mm-hmm. is, is, is hard to do once, once it enters community spread. So what had happened was uh, one of the workers uh, returned from the Curl Lake spot not knowing that they carried a virus, it's pre-symptomatic. As, as we all know, you can't, you can't tell until the symptoms show up. So through the Easter weekend, family visiting, and there was also whispers of reopened Saskatchewan at the time. So a, a sense of normal was, was being, uh, you know, in the wind, so to speak, uh, amongst our community. So they're letting their guards down. Well, that visit culminated now today and another uh, infection came from also a dialysis test in uh, Saskatoon and mm-hmm. another worker from Kerr Lake. Now we have a total of 211 cases. So in specifically in Laloche, uh, our latest numbers are 150 in Laloche at the village side. And Clearwater Denny is right beside it is at 29. And then the next highest number we have is in my community of Beauvel. Uh, we're at 13 right now. There's about 37 recoveries in total. Uh, we have lost two elders, uh, two two deaths in, in from Laloche, and our condolences to those families. And presently, we have two in ICU that are uh, are, are are being assisted for breathing. Wow! Why was the outbreak so bad around Laloche? We have uh, overcrowded housing. And then uh, it's a huge community. It's about 4,000 people within that immediate area. And mm-hmm. the word, it's hard to get the word out when, uh, when you have a sense of normalcy happening in the south of the province, when you have a reopen strategy by our province, the reopen strategy came at the same time as this outbreak entered us. And uh, by, by the time we, we tracked it, the close contact tra- tracing that takes place, uh, these, our people visit. It's, it's our natural way to do. You go to a community, mm-hmm. you visit your grandparents, you visit your cousin, your uncle, and uh, within three, four households, well, that virus just feeds on that 
visiting because it's human to human transmission and then the secondary transfer of people uh, infecting a surface because the virus stays alive on surfaces and then you infect yourself uh, uh, once you touch that surface. So that's how this transmission is taking place. I was going to say an another factor is uh, we've been, uh, as Northern leaders, been asking the provincial government to restrict alcohol sales because in, in Cree we say Suniaskao. And when that happens, you know, when the money is in a community, people want to spend it. They want to go to shopping. And one of the things they'll pick up is party items and young generation, yeah. springtime. Well, that just caused, uh, you know, a formula for for non-compliance. You know, they're feeling tall. They're feeling 10 feet tall and and invincible. Well, that virus doesn't <laughs> doesn't take well to invincibility. It'll infect anybody no matter what. So that's what happened is people socializing and then taking it back home. How hard has this been on the families? You know, this hit like there's over 150 plus cases of COVID coming on. And uh, you mentioned overcrowded housing. But can you give other examples of how, you know, how hard this has been for the families and uh, how it's impacting the communities? One of the things we early on we detected was that you have to isolate and contain early. So when we started looking at how the province and how our country was going to react over here, the first guidelines that came from the province was you won't get tested until you show symptoms. So we knew, well, if you show symptoms, it's 14 to 20 days down the road, you're infecting people in the meantime before you get tested. Then the second guideline that we heard from the province was 80% of the people will get well at home. Well, that triggered us right away. Well, at home means our families. So here's what happens now. We finally found what, what really happens. When a COVID-19 uh, patient calls in, 811, get me tested. Well, they get tested positive. If they get positive, they get sent home. All of them get sent home. Everybody gets sent home as to be taken care of the family and the community. So that's what the message is to our families. Be ready with a family pandemic plan and a community pandemic plan, a household pandemic plan, then you will be ready because it's not the province, it's not the federal government that's going to take care of the patients. It's you, the families and your loved ones. So in this situation, as in Pachanac, uh, families were found positive in a house of 15, 15 mm -hmm. people in one house. Fortunately, they had two bathrooms and one bathroom was in a basement and that's where they isolated uh, the people that had the virus and they controlled the infection and they also control the disinfection of of the people upstairs that were well so it's a family you got to return you got to react early isolate early and stay clean practice your hygiene your disinfection and uh, take care of your people do not migrate after that so the community then takes care of the household from outside so the whole household stays inside and then we as a community bring you food bring you water medicines whatever you need then we give a support system. So that's how it works is from the family, community, and then we create a network of 24 communities and we're, 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 we're complementing their efforts. That's awesome. It, it seems like when we look at it from the outside in the north, it's at the Métis people, the First Nations people, the Dene and the Cree, they're all working together. What's the local response been like bringing all those people together and what are some of the challenges containing the pandemic, working in all those different jurisdictions between the mayors and the chiefs? And uh, what have you been seeing so far? Well, <clears throat> We're interrelated, regardless of First Nations or Métis and a lot of non-Indigenous people up here. We're all one big family. So when, uh -huh. the, when, when the pandemic was declared, uh, we looked at 
we weren't even ready. At, on the Métis community side, we were just, okay, the province got it, the doctors got it, the healthcare system got it. We're taken care of. We got a, you know, first world country here, no problems. And then all of a sudden we got a call from our First Nations neighbors. The English River is across the river here at La Plonge Reserve. And mm -hmm. they said, we're preparing our pandemic plan. And our pandemic plan requires that we activate our emergency operation systems. And because of forest fires in the past, we had an integrated approach with our First Nations. And we said, if we have evacuations, we'll work together. So we had a, an integrated response to it. So this time with, with COVID-19, we had no pandemic plans on our municipal side. Here, the First Nations had one on the shelf for H1N1 and SARS. A few years ago, I guess, yeah. the whole uh, Northern Intertribal Health Authority is the umbrella up here. And they went through the whole exercise of preparing for those pandemics. Well, this one was ready, not for COVID-19, but it's similar. So when we looked at the pandemic plan, we said, we have to jump at the deep end. It's no longer pre-education, pre-pandemic. It's here. It's in our country. So what you have to do is early surveillance. You got to go early identification, containment, and patient care. So that's where we jumped in. We partnered up with our First Nations. And then as we were getting together here in Beauval and English River, the communities, our neighboring communities were just as lost. So when they heard on a radio interview, I had provided a local radio interview, and I said, this is what we're doing. This is what we're finding out. Well, the community leaders tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, can you do this as our region? Can you guide us through the uncertainty of the virus and how we work a pandemic plan? So we said, okay, if, if you want me to, no problem. So the chiefs, the mayors, and the municipalities, and the Métis leaders all came together, and they said, we'll unite. You, you guide the efforts for COVID-19. So we set up our Northwest Communities Incident Command Center under an incident command system. So I'm the incident commander, and we have a structure of how we respond to each community. But all the, all the objectives and all the operations are at the community level. So we're a support team to the community. So 24 EOCs, and we're focusing on COVID-19, patient care, early identification, and we got the Saskatchewan Health Authority, the Northern Intertribal Health Authority, and we have the RCMP that have been working closely with us. And we're also working with the fire suppression crews up here and also our Provincial Emergency Operations Center. So you brought everybody together. That's really positive. Even in a sense now, the question I got is, are you getting the help you need from the provincial and federal governments relating to your plan? like all the resources you need in terms of healthcare, medical supplies, PPE, resourcing, because you brought everybody together. Now, are you getting any support? What kind of supports are you getting from the provincial government and or the federal government? I think uh, the preparedness of the province was wherever the outbreak happens, they would trigger their help. So it didn't, they didn't help us for the first month. This was uh, you know, when the outbreak happened in Laloche, then we started seeing their presence. But for one month, we were just getting frustrated. So that's how we reached out to the federal government. And we said, hey, we have federal responsibility here with the federal uh, First Nations. And also mm -hmm. under the Métis, uh, Daniel's case, the Métis are falling under under that uh, uh, jurisdiction as well. So we approached the federal government. And thanks to Minister Carolyn Bennett, she came and uh, had our 3 o'clock briefings every day at 3 o'clock, seven days a week. We, we communicate on a teleconference call and we get a status report from each community. So that's how we keep 
uh, our communities informed and there's a network between the communities as well because there's certain level of expertise all around our communities and that just educates everybody some people are just off the ground don't know what they're doing and they learn really fast as soon as they hear their neighboring communities what they're doing we learn by example and that's how we're doing so you mentioned that the Fed, so Carolyn, Minister Carolyn Bennett and uh, Minister Mark Miller as well, I noticed today they put out uh, a press release putting some financial resources to assist and help implement the plan that you guys all put together. And uh, they did say that the, the, the resources are scalable and once the healthcare needs are identified, they should and will be met. And so we got to keep putting pressure. So from my perspective as National Chief, it's good to see that they did respond in a positive way to get you some resources up there. Now... Um, in terms of uh, the masks and the gloves and the sanitizers and the testing and even things like food security, are there any kind of challenges? Are you getting adequate support now? Yes. Uh, when we realize the communities need to respond to this pandemic and that all patients were going to be sent home, once we realized that, we knew we needed PPE because if you have a first responder situation, you may have a house fire, the RCMP, or any other, you know, any other issue happening in our households somebody from the outside coming in to respond to that. But to enter that house, you need full PPE. The same armor you see with our nurses, our doctors in the hospital, you see it in the news every day. Well, that's the kind of PPE our essential people need to protect themselves. And same mm -hmm. thing with our volunteers. We have a, a whole army of volunteers over here that you know, put themselves at risk for this virus to help others. Well, we need that, that protection. But the province didn't realize that their pandemic plan only reached to the healthcare system. So they were protecting their PPE and weren't sharing with the communities. And that was a major concern. And that's the major drive of us uh, getting politically active, so to speak. But uh, the, we got our local uh, governments, the, the Meadow Lake Tribal Council, the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, they outsourced uh, a lot of the PPE that we have now on the ground because it arrived a lot earlier than the provincial rollout or as we say with the federal rollout now, because the federal uh, are just kicking in now and then we, we're very thankful. But the other uh, added uh, health order that came in, there's uh, three health orders that were released in our region. The first, the first health order was a travel restriction from the Curl Lake uh, outbreak. Mm -hmm. So they said, anybody coming back, workers coming back, we have to have a strong recommendation, not mandatory. This is the, the terminology difference here. Self-isolation means you volunteer. Mandatory isolation means you're quarantined. It's by law, enforceable by law. And they should have done that to the Kerr Lake people right away. They should have isolated, contained it. But instead, they came home voluntarily, started visiting. It's okay. So our community said, we'll do a perimeter checkpoint because every community had a community checkpoint already. We, the First Nations, Pine House, English River, Canoe Lake, all of the communities started putting checkpoints. So as Métis communities, we started following suit. But a First Nation has the authority to lock down their population and, and prohibit traffic into your First Nations. On the Métis municipal side, we don't have that authority. It's given to us from the province. So we've been knocking on the province's door. Give us that authority to be able to do the same. But no, mm -hmm. to this day, we, we st still don't have that. They retain that authority. So to retain that authority, they did a travel restriction for the whole north. So, okay, that's good. We'll, we'll keep the traffic out. You know, outfitting camps are opening up. Bear hunters are here. The fishermen are just itching to get on the lakes to get to their cabins. Well, 
we don't want that traffic because most of that traffic comes from Alberta as well. And said, okay, you know, put a travel restriction for non-residents in mm-hmm. this region. We agreed with that second health order. Then they made a third health order. And that third health order made a little twist because the first health order said residents only, non-residents stay out, and essential services is food and medicine. People can get their food and medicine and come back and isolate. That's our, that was our deal. The province switched it a little bit and they said, yes, they can get food. No, no. They, get, they said, no. There's food available in local stores up north. You get your food from a local community. So if somebody in Boval has no food, go to Alacross, go to Buffalo Narrows. And then they said, well, you can get medicine. Okay, go get medicine. Well, here's how they enforced it. The day it came down, one of, one of my uh, family members drove down to try and get food. I clearly told him, you'll be allowed for food. You'll be allowed for medicine. Well, he went by the barricade. They charged him 2800 bucks. Well, we got a big message off of that. Everybody came back. Everybody went to homes. Mm. And now this past Friday, a week later, a medical taxi leaves the, leaves the region, goes to medical appointments from uh, Turner Lake. On their way back, they traditionally bring groceries. Well, they brought groceries. They were threatened to get charged for bringing groceries back from a medical trip. So the enforcement of it, it's just, we've just had nothing but trouble and frustration since that uh, third health order came out. And, uh, and they're not listening to the leaders. The leaders are upset up here. They're just, because uh, it's now mm. a lockdown. It's locking us in. And we don't have the services. We don't have the, the essential uh, facilities that we have. We had two, two stores that went down because of COVID cleaning. Uh, the general store in Oval, big regional store. A big northern store in Laloche went down. It's mm-hmm. a big, you know, essential supply. Well, when you have COVID in those, uh, in those staff, you have to shut down. You have to isolate all the workers, and you have to disinfect the space. So that that really compromised our, our food supply here in the last two weeks. Has that issue of food security been dealt with, though, adequately now? A lot of donations came in. A, a, lot, of, a lot of people s- helped them out, but there's a lot of small communities that are in lockdown that don't have no stores. We have communities like St. George's Hill, Jans Bay, Cold Bay, uh, Canoe Lake uh, First Nations. They don't have the, the big stores that, that supply them for you know their whole population. They depend on Meadow Lake. Meadow Lake's a major service center for us, but they're outside of this NAD and, uh, and health order. So it's really complicated things. Just that twist of how a government can misunderstand what they want or purposely do it, we don't know, but it, it's been nothing but a hassle ever since. So if some representatives from the Saskatchewan government are listening to our podcast right now, the message to them would be lighten up as it relates to food security so that the northern people can have access to Meadow Lake or some of the bigger stores so they, they can bring food back. Would that be the message? I think the health order, uh, as they were, the community containment, we got that under control. The communities are all managing their populations. The travel restrictions, the southerners coming up to bring the infection, that's what that second health order meant. They should have left it at that. The third health order was where it all fell apart. Once they tried to make us go back to our communities for our food, which wasn't there, there's not an abundance up there. So uh, we depend on everything from the South for our food. So it's a food security uh, agenda is now being, you know, food sovereignty, as we call it. You know, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we become self-sufficient up here? So people want to get seed potatoes now. The pussy willows are out. 
Well, we can't get seed potatoes. Right now, they're not viewed as essential services because they're not a food. So it's, it's, it's the interpretation and how the province is enforcing this is just, a, is just a frustrating. Okay. So we've got to keep pushing to get that fixed. Now, this is kind of a good segue into the next question I've got because different provinces and premiers across Canada are looking at ways to uh, kickstart the economy and are slowly starting to open up their borders and the economy in different sectors. And in Saskatchewan, of course, Premier Scott Moe said, yeah, we're going to start looking at reopening the economy. Does this worry you in any way, shape, or form? Yes. Uh, early openings, doesn't matter where, there could be a second wave, and this virus is not gone. So we know it came from where it was, the, the, the damage it did in Italy, the damage it's doing in the United States, and any close confines, like a long-term care unit or a hospital, it, it just breeds on that crowded houses that's what we're seeing we see same situation in uh uh american indian reserves down in the united states it's the same situation mm -hmm. it's the same dynamics in the north here so you got to go early identification early containment and the other issue that we deal with is privacy because of privacy they won't let you know where the person is or the or the name and because of public safety a lot of our leaders are saying the virus has more legal rights than the population and that's disconcerting because that is true we have a hard time identifying the you know for early containment and early because that's what we're prepared for was to prepare for the family's uh, supports and the community supports but if you don't know where the virus is then you don't know who to contain and then you don't know who's you know that's where the stigma happens is you know you start looking at people uh, suspiciously no we have to have an open real-time dialogue with our health professionals and test them properly. Testing has is, is been a challenge as well. So we need people tested early and also tested before they come into the population. You have to test them as, as a negative before they come out. And right now they're just going on symptoms. There's, there's a, a, a dual protocol between the federal jurisdiction and the, uh, uh, the provincial jurisdiction. We have to clarify that. We're learning as we go. But uh, mm -hmm. in the long term, we're preparing this for our kids as well. We want to make sure that, you know, they have to have the, the tools. They have to have everything prepared for, like the PPE stockpiled, you know, to contain the, the virus. But if you're going to go back to normal, testing is the way to do it. We see that in other countries. If you're going to monitor people, surveil the people, it's to find out the virus. It's not the people you're surveilling or containing. It's the virus itself. And that's what we're trying to educate our, our residents that, Maybe we should be, uh, you know, having a prior consent form for the health purpose, you know, because I'd want my family to know it. My whole community is my family. But the health system, the provincial health system, won't disclose my information to my public, even though I'm a threat to them. So that's that's the, the dialogue we're having as well. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing issue, not only in uh, Saskatchewan, but right across Canada, about the need for good information, good data, and and uh, that whole privacy issue. There was some talk, I know we were trying to push the, some of the federal ministers to look at self-declaration, because you need to say uh, your, your status number or where you're from, you know, whether you're First Nations or Métis, and so you can properly track it. So there were some, that whole issue of proper data, getting good information is key. And so we have to keep looking at ways that we can address that. And uh, the privacy issues, we definitely we got to watch and, and find the balance between good information, good data, yet still respecting the privacy. But you make a good point. Like this virus seems to have more 
more uh, rights than First Nations when we're trying to contain it. So that's an issue going forward for sure. Uh, it, it's it's heartening to see how everybody's really come together, our First Nations and make, like working together as a community and as a team to deal with this. And it's really looking after the, the healthcare needs of the people in that territory. So I just wanted to lift you up and commend you for your leadership and all the people up there, the chiefs, the the, the Métis mayor, the, everybody really coming together and uh, to end this thing. So I just wanted to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on this podcast because this is a way of educating the people in Northern Saskatchewan, but all the people listening to this, that there's very specific healthcare needs that need to be addressed. So to all of our listeners out there, that was Rick LaLiberty. He was head of the local emergency response team working to control the COVID-19 outbreak in Northern Saskatchewan. He is also a former federal member of parliament for the region. So thanks for listening to the Akamemak podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating. Tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Come on, come on.